Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 87th episode of the podcast where we get a chance to talk to Travis Hash. Travis Hash is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Absolute Sports Performance. 2018, he helped open Absolute Sports Performance. He's one of the owners there as the Director of Strength and Conditioning. He's also the Strength and Conditioning Coach at Loyola Blakefield High School in Maryland, as well as he was formerly the Strength and Conditioning Coach at CCBC Dundalk Community College for the baseball team as well. He's had a personal training background ever since high school, where he actually graduated high school with as a certified personal trainer. He is CSCS certified. And as you know, as you'll see through this conversation, it's well-versed, and um, he actually works with great athletes uh, all around. Those people know and follow baseball uh, for the baseball world. He works with Hartford Community College. So those people who know the JUCO ranks well, know the kind of athletes that Hartford has, and he works with them and helps with their strength and conditioning and is their strength and conditioning coach as well. So Coach Hash gets into his assessments. He gets into, you know, the programming things, how we're, how we're helping people that um, are multi-sports athletes, how we're helping people. You know, right now athletes are – you know, sometimes playing two sports in the same season and how do we help them train and you know what it takes to involve a successful program. And a lot of it comes down to the simple thing like coaches do is communication. He talks about communication, talks about how we got to be there to look at their intensity, look at, see like, wow, they thought this was really hard, but it's actually programmed to be very light. And so we need to maybe give them a recovery or a deload week. Um, it kind of helps you give like a shell of a program and, how to make out it, how to adapt from that. Um, it was a really great conversation, really enjoyed it. Um, hit the ground running from the get-go, and, uh, man, it was a lot of fun. So, Coach Hash, I can't thank you enough, and can't thank those guys at Netting Pros for helping make this possible and help grow our podcast, and which is also then essentially help growing the game, which this is all about. Will Miner, the guys at Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting, netting Professionals specialize in design. Design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will. Contact the guys at Netting Pros at 844-620-620. 2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So again, thanks to Will Meyer. Thanks to guys. Thanks for being part of the Netting Pros chat. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know you will. I, know I really enjoyed it. It helped me get better. It helps me just be a little bit more productive he has me a little bit give me a little more skin in the game for when i'm trying to talk to guys about their development and their what they should be doing strength and conditioning wise and also just even just another resource check this guy out make sure you're following him on twitter as well at hash sports performance you can check him out on twitter and instagram so let's get right down to it here he is coach travis hash absolute sports performance in maryland
Fortunately, like with with young high school level athletes, like they're they're going to recover better than really they they ever are going to at any other time in their life. So at least we have that going for us a little bit. They're not an older athlete that's going to need longer recovery time. So as long as they if they're a three sport athlete and they're technically always in season, as long as those seasons are separated and they're only playing one sport at a time, which which the tweet that you kind of brought up, um, that's not always the case, right? Like sometimes they're playing. Um, two sports at a time they're playing indoor soccer and basketball at the same time or they're playing fall baseball and football at the same time so that's a that's kind of a different conversation but so long as those uh, seasons are kind of separated they should have ample amount of time to both train recover and still compete in their sport assuming that the program is is laid out correctly um, you know, if, if we're smashing them with really high volume and a lot of workload the day before a game, yeah, they're probably going to be sore the next day. However, if we allow, you know, 48 to 72 hours uh, between their training sessions and their next athletic bout, then we can manage that stress appropriately, assuming that their practice workload isn't crazy high. So what would you consider? So like, let's say you have a guy like that, you know, and because I think we're all getting to that I wouldn't say we're all, but like, I think that conversation is coming up a good bit is, is how would you, how would you program a kid like that? That is a three sport athlete. Because I, I think that's a, I think that's a realistic challenge that, a, that coaches have when they go to plan right now for these workouts is like, okay, how can I get this basketball kid who knows he needs to get stronger? You know, I wanted to play basketball, but like, how can we incorporate the lifting? What does it look like? Sure. I mean, the, the biggest thing, and, and this is always a little bit of a challenge with high school athletes, is, is communication, right? They, they need to communicate their schedule to us. Like, okay, coach, like we have games on, uh, you know, just around Tuesday, Thursdays. That's when we have games and we practice Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're off on the weekends. Well, we definitely want to take advantage of one of those weekend days going to be a lift day. Um, and then we probably need to also lift on one of those practice days after practice. Um, so maybe Friday is a good day for that. And then Monday, if we're able to get a third lift in, we can, we can schedule it that way. Um, I'm, we could lift on the game day after the game. Uh, it just depends on like if this player is a bench player or if they're a starter. Um, but ideally I'd like to have them lift on their practice days a little bit more. Now from the programming perspective, our job is going to be to limit their stress as much as we can. So a couple of the things that we can do to help mitigate stress is number one, athletes will typically uh, have more soreness, more delayed onset muscle soreness from increased volume. Uh, they generally can handle low volumes and higher intensities. So they can handle a little bit higher weights as long as the volume is not too high and they shouldn't feel a ton of soreness the next day. Um, if we're out there squatting three sets of 10 reps the day before a game, we're probably sore the next day. If we're doing three sets of three, we're probably not going to be sore the next day. And if the intensity is high enough, we can still drive some of those strength adaptations that we're looking for. The other thing that we can do is we know that eccentric, so uh, eccentric being the lowering phase or the lengthening phase uh, of lifts causes more soreness than the concentric phase. So we can look at ways in our program, how can we eliminate some of the eccentric stress out of their program and focus more on the output of the concentric phase. Um, so those are like some of the little strategies that we can implement to help mitigate that soreness while still allowing them to have strength adaptations and perform at the sport that they're currently playing. That's cool. Can you give me an example? Can you give me an example, like uh, just, just for the, me of like, you would say, okay, this is more eccentric. So we're going to go to this. Can you give me like a, a example of that? Sure. So I think from like a, a hip hinge pattern, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. we take two exercises that are a hip hinge, right? So we have an RDL. 
um, or remini and deadlift. And, and that's when we're, we have the bar out in front of us and we're lowering the bar down. We're getting that big stretch in the hamstrings and then we're coming up and, and squeezing our butt at the top of the lift. The majority of that lift is an eccentric portion, right? That big stretch as we're reaching down towards the bottom. Okay, the concentric phase is coming up. So we have that stress from the eccentric portion. So say we wanted to get a hip hinge in that's a little bit less eccentric focused, we could do a hip thrust off of the floor or off of the bench. There's a lot limited range of motion on the eccentric phase, but we're still getting that big squeeze of our butt as we drive the weight upwards um, towards the top. So that would be like an example of one that's a little bit more concentric focused versus eccentric. Cool. That's perfect. Okay. I appreciate that. That was great. Um, so RDL versus the hip thrust. Okay, and, and, and another thing you could do too, is just limiting uh, your range of motion. Um, uh, if you take like the back squat, for example, um, mm -hmm. in the off season, when we're not super worried about having a little bit more stress, then, you know, we can squat to the full range of motion, utilize tempos and pauses and things of that nature. Uh, versus in season, maybe we work, uh, you know, a, a squat to a box that's a little bit shortened range of motion so that the eccentric stress isn't as great. Um, so you can play with the, the range of the motion and joint angle specificity as well. Okay, so limiting range of motion. So you, would you say like like a, just a simple box squat? Is that what you mean? Like going down to a box instead of going the full range? Yeah, sure. You could squat to a box that's, you know, maybe slightly above uh, parallel versus, you know, squatting full range of motion all the way down. Okay. That would be one way to limit stress. Now, there's pros and cons to that. You're going to miss out on some things, but um, it, that is a, an opportunity to decrease your overall stress. Which is essentially what we're looking at. But like you said, it comes back to the communication of when are you doing it, or even like when you're programming it is, I guess you said, like the communication between when are we competing so we know like yep. which way, when to like, I guess, limit or like know when we can push and say, Cause like, I'm sure that you probably still have to get over the fact of like, you're going to be sore. Do you ever get that? What are your thoughts on that? A little bit. And, and really the, the best over, and this, this definitely I wanted to bring up is the best overall strategy uh, to mitigate soreness uh, is to train consistently. Um, our body gets sore when it is exposed to new stressors. Um, I always think of it as um, you know, most people, if you're not a, a bowler, you don't go bowling that often. If you've ever gone out bowling with friends, the next day you're feeling sore in all types of weird places. And that's because it's a new stressor. It's something your body is not used to. But if you bowled all the time, you wouldn't be as sore from that. So the same concept applies to the weight room. If we're training sporadically and our body is not used to uh, training on a consistent basis, we're going to have a lot more soreness than if we're on a regular routine of two to three times a week and our body knows what to expect when it's coming in there. Um, so that communication with the athlete is like, Hey, like you might feel a little bit sore in the, the preseason or whatever, but if you stick with this and you're very consistent with your training overall, we're going to be gaining strength, worst case, maintaining stuff that we've built in the off season, but you're not going to feel that soreness and fatigue as if you would, if, if you took time off and came every other week or every three weeks or something like that. Um, so that's part of communicating with them. And then. You know, it's kind of like, a, you know, you have a plan and you just have to be able to adjust it because uh, particularly in a sport like baseball with, uh, you know, the rain, rain outs and reschedules and, and playing with all these schedules, um, what you thought might have been a, a day off actually ends up being uh, a game day. Uh, and you have to be able to adjust on the fly with that, too. But the athlete has to tell you they got to let you know. That's that's the key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I've just I told guys like I, I think you're better off 
spending your money on a expert strength conditioning coach that's going to help you program it and have this like have this communication mm-hmm. than you are paying for a hitting lesson. You know, depending on your age, depending on your situation, you know, you're more likely to do that now because guys can do it virtually now. Like I'm sure you could probably put somebody on a program right on an app and 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 help them out with their journey. Yeah, you could. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that a lot of coaches are, that's the space that a lot of coaches are starting to get into is the the online or remote programming space. Um, and there's, there's some out there that do a really good job with it. Um, I, I personally prefer to see the athlete in person. Um, you know, that's kind of like, that's what I like to do. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some really successful programs out there doing remote too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking, just say, just say like after this call, someone's like, man, I really want to touch this brain guy. And if like, that would be an op- opportunity for, you know what I mean? But uh, I'm, I just think that that's such a it's such a valuable part in certain people's development that, you know, they have to find someone that's going to work with them. And, and kind of like you said, you got to communicate the schedule and be and then ha- be an expert enough that someone's going to trust you with what you're going to be talking to them about. You know, so that's all very yep. important. Absolutely. You know, so like in terms of like to, those are just huge things. So how do you combat, you know, like one of the tweets you were talking about was like the the new thing of playing two sports you know basically the multi-sport athlete playing the same sport you know in the same season how are you combating that yeah that that is the toughest one um because it seems like in a lot of maybe not so much in maryland baseball doesn't seem to be uh you know all year round sport i think our weather dictates that a little bit so we have that advantage but soccer uh, seems to be played all the time, like pretty much year round. All the soccer athletes that we work with, some of them also play baseball, and they're, that, that's that's why they end up playing two sports kind of at the same time: club soccer with either high school or club baseball. Um, and that that really is the the big the big struggle uh, because they're getting a lot of volume from both sports, and we have to understand that hey, like right now their sport is the priority, and we've got to kind of take a step back and adjust our volume down. Uh, on the strength and conditioning side so that we're not over fatiguing them. Um, and the conversation has to be even more advanced because like I've got soccer on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I've got baseball on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and we've got to figure out how we're going to get lifts in during that time period. Um, it's, I don't know that there's an ideal way to do it. And that's kind of like where the, uh, that tweet comes from is a little bit out of frustration is like, you know, you've got practice slash games six to seven days a week for, eight to nine months out of the year, when are you really spending time developing? And and the answer is you're not developing to the level that you could be. Um, You you are missing out on some level of development. Um, So the the overall answer is probably to pick one of those sports that, that is a priority at some point, one of them will likely present as being your dominant or your go-to sport. Um, And you've got to start to prioritize that. And maybe you're not year round in the other sport. That's not your primary sport anymore doesn't mean you can't play it, um, but just have separated seasons because otherwise you're, you're setting yourself up for, uh, for best case scenario, underdevelopment, worst case scenario, overuse injuries. That's good. Underdevelopment, just based off of just not being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, we've we've dealt with it a lot. I mean, we have a lot I'm of athletes that... Right now, I got 10-year-old twins, and my 10-year-old sons gets pulled every direction. You know what I mean? And I yeah. have to step in, you know, and, and, and do that right now. We're already making those decisions at 10, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's you're making decisions that never hadn't made before. Well, and that's, and, and I think, I mean, you're, you're talking about 10 years old, and I, I think it's starting even earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. 
club, you, know, you have club level teams for, for eight, nine and 10 year olds. You know, it, it, it used to be, those okay. were, those were ages that kids played rec, maybe travel and travel is still seasonal. Travel is not. It was. Um, it, so it's, you know, that's, that's the big change is like, you, you're now starting to have a lot higher level of, um, maybe not actual competition, but at least a higher level of, of training and overall structure earlier in these kids' athletic development careers. Um, and that's in some ways been, been not the best case thing for them. No, for sure. And then there's not too many guys that are also part of that, that are incorporating the strength and conditioning part with it. It'd be different. Right. So like, I know, like, you know, like my son's baseball program, you know, like they were like right now as part of them to go to a place like ASP, part mm-hmm. of them to go to where they will do a little bit basically like speed camp type of things. They don't pick sure. up a baseball. They're playing dodgeball. They're pushing sleds. You know, they're just kind of having fun in the weight room right now as kids. But like yeah. it's nice to see that that is part of the development, you know, where, uh, you know, those things are also getting helped. But yeah, at the same time, like he's going to soccer and soccer's trying to wrap up here in the fall. And then you got basketball that just came in. So, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's very, it's very unique, uh, for sure. And, and I think it's a real life problem. But like I said, even the coach right now, the high school coach who's programming or looking for the best type of program, he's going to have high, he's going to have indoor track athletes. Yep. He'll have basketball athletes. Mm-hmm. He could have a wrestler, um, you know, and these are all real life things that he challenges that he has to make. So, how do you, uh, how do you as a coach? What, what kind of advice would you give that guy with him balancing the track guy, the basketball guy, the wrestler, and then you've got his guy that's just baseball guys? Yeah, and it, I mean, I, I'll speak on it more from you know the the perspective that I'm most familiar with, which is the strength and conditioning. And this is something yeah, that we, do. we yeah, and this is something we run into uh, at Loyola a lot. So we we actually it's it's pretty uh, good timing because right now fall sports uh, either are ending if they're in the playoffs or they just recently ended. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been working with our non-fall sport uh, baseball guys for the last two months, and they're starting to get to a pretty good level of uh, movement proficiency and and starting to have that kind of foundation of strength built up. Now we've got ten or fifteen kids that just got done their fall sports jumping into the weight room and, and trying to get right into the swing of things. They cannot be expected to be at the same level as the guys that have had off and have been training for the last two months. So it's really about having a system in place. You know these things are going to happen, um, and you can at least uh, plan and prepare for them. So with us, we have a tier system um, where all athletes, regardless of when they started, are going to start on a foundations, a movement foundations block. Um, and that'll help get them up to speed a little bit quicker than just throwing them into what everybody else is doing. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit more stressful having two to three programs happening at one time. Uh, but long-term this is going to work better for those kids so that they don't miss out on those foundational movement patterns and they're not getting thrown into the fire of, you know, maybe a true strength block where they're not prepared for it. And then if they're not prepared for it, they're still at that increased risk of injury. So uh, have a system in place and, and just be prepared for these things. You're going to have enough unexpected uh, events happen, injuries and uh, school cancellations and snow days, stuff that you can't plan for. Uh, so plan for the stuff that you know is going to happen. You know, for the most part, who's coming in off of a different sport, who's leaving to go participate in a different sport. Just have a structure and a plan, um, and, and it'll make the transitions a lot more smooth. You said the foundations of movement. What are your other tiers? 
Sure. So we typically with our with our high school athletes and, and most of these athletes are, are untrained. Uh, we are going to start off with movement foundations block, and, and that is going to be our, our foundational movement pattern. So for, for me, uh, that's our squat, our hinge, a unilateral movement, typically a split squat or a lunge. Uh, and then horizontal pushing and pulling. Uh, so horizontal pushing could be like a push-up or a bench press. Vertical could be uh, an overhead press. Pulling overhead could be a lat pull-down or a chin-up. Um, and then traditional rows are horizontal pulling. Uh, we want to make sure that they're good at all of these foundational movements. I, I literally think of this as like the foundation of our house. If we don't have those basic movement patterns down, uh, we do not want to load on top of those poor movement patterns. So that's, that's phase one for us. After that, we are going to then go into a little bit of a accumulation or a volume block um, where we're going to build up our work capacity. So we've got our movements nailed down in the last block. Now we're going to start to build on top of those movements and make sure that our body has the capacity to do a fair amount of work through those movement patterns. So this is where you'll see our higher volume work happening. That's actually the block that... Uh, um, my guys at Loyola are in right now. They're, they're building up that volume. We're working a little bit higher rep ranges. Um, we will then progress into a more true strength block. Uh, our volume is going to come down a little bit. Our intensity will come up and it will be about maximal output uh, and making sure that we are able to produce enough force uh, to do the things that we want to do in our sport. And then lastly, we'll start to shift the, the focus into uh, power and uh, speed strength uh, and some of the things that are going to translate or have a, a higher uh, translation directly to the field. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so when you get to these different phases, so mm -hmm. like going back to the guy, like, so you're building all this power and speed. So basically the end goal is the power and speed comes right before you start the season. Correct. Yeah, we want to essentially be be peaking our, our power and speed um, as we're getting ready to go into that season um, so that we can come out of the gate pretty hot. Um, and then once we get into season, it's about maintaining those qualities. Um, so we, we've spent this whole off season from building the foundation to building the strength base um, to then producing power and speed output. We've now got to maintain that uh, the best that we can throughout the course of the season. But yeah, ideally we're peaking those qualities right, right before the season. As we enter the season, so then when you go in season, mm -hmm. are you are you is, are the blocks still the same, or just the accumulation blocks look? You, you're probably staying away from accumulation, so right? Are you you're staying within the strength and the power speed blocks? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Just, so we are uh, we're more so trying to maintain the the speed and power because those are going to be the most specific adaptations to our sport, right? I, I've never had a coach saying, "Man, I wish our guys were slower and." less powerful, you know? Um, so those are going to be what we're trying to maintain. So uh, the way that an in-season program is going to look for us, is going to be a little bit lower on the volume side, again, because we're not trying to create a ton of fatigue. So that's why, as you mentioned, we wouldn't go back through the accumulation. Um, but we're definitely going to make sure that we're touching on uh, both sprint work, uh, power work, whether it be plyometrics or loaded jumps and plyometrics. Um, and then also our strength, we do have to touch some, a little bit of higher end strength. It doesn't have to be crazy. We're certainly not maxing out in season, um, but we do have to work above 80, 85%, um, on occasion to maintain those strength adaptations that we spent all off season building. Okay. So above 80%. So I'm assuming that above 80, 80%, you've have a test of some sort. So you probably have maxed, uh, so that what you, they know they're 80, 85%. 
Roughly, right. Um, I, I typically uh, program using a, a, a something called a rating of perceived exertion or RPE. Um, and that allows us to create an estimated one rep max. I'm, I'm not a big believer in, in doing a, a true one rep max, um, you know, outside of the sport of powerlifting. Um, we occasionally will work at heavy, what, three rep max, but really uh, we're working at what we would call a nine and a half, uh, a nine or a nine and a half RPE, which means you have like maybe one rep left in the tank. So we're never truly uh, actually finding a max or maxing out, uh, but within our strength block and within our training, uh, we are working up to heavy um, triples and doubles at times. And that gives us a pretty good gauge of where our actual max sits. And we can estimate based off that. Okay. So that's cool. That's, that leads me into a lot of the assessments. Cause looking at, you know, another tweet, you know, you're talking about like, if you're not, if you know, if you don't have assessment, you're just kind of guessing. And that's really where this sure. kind of comes from, you know? So like, um, so what you're saying with the RPE is a kid gets to, a certain type of weight. And if you know, he can only get one more then he knows his, yep. his max quote unquote max is about right. that. Right. Yep. That yeah. So for example, if, if we have a kid and I say, I want you to deadlift this weight um, for two reps at a nine RPE. And so he does his two reps. He should know that he could do one more repetition, but not be able to do two more. So essentially he has found his estimated three rep max. Okay. Yep. That's a good clarification. Okay. So basically he's finding his three rep maps. Okay. Yeah, and the, the good thing too about RPE is, you know, anyone that is uh that has lifted before knows that the same weight does not feel the same every day. Um, some days you're coming in, you're feeling really good and, you know, 300 pounds feels like nothing and it's moving really fast. And then the next week you come in and you're not feeling as good. And 300 pounds feels like the heaviest weight possible. Uh, that is the reason that we utilize a rating of perceived exertion. Um, because on one day, 300 pounds might be a 7 RPE. And on one day, it might be a 9 RPE. Um, so it's a little bit more fluid. And it's based on how the athlete is feeling. It takes into account um, how they're, what their active, uh, what their readiness is, rather, for that given training session. Versus a percentage is just a straight number. Um, yeah. you're lifting 80% today and that's what you're lifting. Um, you know, that number doesn't have a whole lot of flexibility in it. So, but then the RP takes an account for like, you have to really know your guys where you knowing like, Hey, you need to be pushed, yep. you know, like, Hey, I know you can do more than this. So you have to be there really kind of coach them up as well though. Yep. And, and to me, that's coaching and that, and that's where yeah. our job really comes into play. You know, once the, once the movement foundation is there, once they move, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we've got very advanced athletes that still need help with their, their basic movements at times. Um, they, they're not always doing everything perfect. But once they're doing most things pretty well, pretty consistently, the real coaching comes in and is, uh, is managing that their workload, their volumes, and their intensities. And part of managing their intensities is making sure that they're working at the appropriate RPE. Managing workloads. Yep. And intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it right there. Man, little coaching comes into managing workloads and intensity. Absolutely. Yep. So, like, so what was another form of assessment that you like to use? So you have the RPE, and I'm sorry, just so I'm clear on the RPE, because you said an RPE of nine, RPE of seven. Sure. Because uh, I'm just trying to understand this myself. Um, yep. Finding a weight. Okay, so like, if you say we're working at a nine RPE. So that basically means like you can, you're not able to get one more rep, 
And then, but you if can I'm, do one more. I, I could do one more. So then, correct. What's the set? Like, so it's it's a rating scale. Of like RP is one to ten. Sure. Yeah. So there's a there's an RPE scale. Typically, uh, so for for cardiovascular, there's a, a different RPE RPE scale, and it's six to twenty. Um, so if you Google RPE scale, like that may be the first thing that pops up. That's not the one I'm discussing right now. Okay. Uh, the one I'm discussing is rated uh, from one to ten, and and basically working from down to one up to 10 the way it works is um one is like little to no effort involved so i i kind of think of this as like um our dynamic warm-up like you could probably do a dynamic warm-up almost all day long and not really get tired so that's that's like a one rpe um the two to five rpe range uh is very very lightweight um stuff that you can do eight to ten plus additional reps of um so if i'm doing 10 reps of an exercise and i'm working at like a a four three or four RPE, I probably could do 20 reps of that exercise. This is typically like our warm-up sets and things like that. Um, once you get up a little bit higher, uh, six RPE means we have about four or five reps left in the tank. So if I'm doing 10 reps of an exercise, this means that at max I could do 14 or 15. Um, and then it kind of builds up that way. Seven RPE is, is three repetitions remaining. Eight RPE is two repetitions remaining. 9 RPE is one repetition remaining. And then a 10 RPE is your max. That's your max effort. You could not do any more weight. Got it. And that's, that's just one of the ways that you can uh, prescribe intensities. Um, the, the one that most people are familiar with is percentages. So I'm prescribing 80% this week, 85% next week. Um, another way to do it is reps in reserve, uh, which is similar to RPE. Uh, where it tells you how many repetitions you have remaining. So I could say, I want you to do this exercise until you have three reps left in the tank and then stop. Um, and then RPE, again, is very similar. You're assigning the RPE number, and that lets you know how many repetitions uh, you should be able to complete afterwards. So you would stop and say, yep, I can do five more, or I can do three more. I'm just going to I'm good there. I'm going to stop there. That's correct. Okay. So that's how you're managing the, the intensity. Right. And you're keeping kids from maxing out, trying to max out on every single set. There you go. Okay. All right. Cool. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. I just needed to kind of clarify yeah. my brain and what it was like. And so that's cool. Um, so any other kind of assessments that you do? Sure. To, to... Yeah. Um, so with all of our new athletes, we have a, an assessment process and it kind of goes back to, um, you know, one of those things that I tweeted out and it was, uh, you know, if you're not a, if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. Um, however, like the assessment has to make sense for you and, and for your, your athlete base, your client. Yeah, that's base. what I liked how you said that, you know, you can't copy and paste it from, you know, right. from out Al from Alabama. Cause you probably don't have Alabama's hundred percent. And like, you know, you know what I'm to. like this is, this is stuff, you know, that, that I've learned along the way. It's like, it, you know, I copied and pasted an assessment process at one point in time and I'm doing it. And I'm like, I'm looking at the results of the assessment. And I don't even understand really what I'm looking at. You know, it's like it, th those things aren't going to make sense to you. If, if they're not making um, actionable changes into your programming um, and they're not real determinants of what you're adding in or excluding from different programs uh, for the athletes, and then why are you wasting your time performing these assessments? Um, so that, that was my, my main point of that is like, let's, let's select um, items or assessments that are actually going to make changes and actually give us more information that we're going to be able to use with our athletes. Um, so for us, uh, we start off with a movement screening. Um, and it's very similar to the, those basic movements that I described earlier. We're taking our athletes through 
basic variations of a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, a single leg pattern, um, and then different pushes and pulls to see what their movement competency is at currently. Um, if we have an athlete come in and we ask them to hinge and they squat and they have no idea how to do um, the hinge pattern correctly, then we know they're that's part of our uh, program that we need to add in there. We need to teach this kid how to hinge properly because especially with working with primarily baseball players, our whole sport is in a hinge position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one of the uh, assessments that we do. And we have um, about 10 movement patterns that we take athletes through and we're taking notes and, and writing down uh, different aspects of those movements and then utilizing those to add the different movements into their programs. Um, and, you know, from that assessment, we're able to see, um, again, movement competency, uh, if they have any, like, mobility limitations or inability to perform certain movements, um, and also what their training experience is. If they come in and they know all the lifts or all the movements on the assessment before, probably a good chance that they've trained before. Um, and then after that, we're, we're doing performance testing. Uh, so we're looking at uh, jumps and sprints. Uh, primarily. So we'll use, uh, with our facility, we don't have a a huge turf space. So we'll utilize uh, the 10 yard dash is kind of our primary sprint test. Uh, We use the 5105 or the pro agility shuttle um, to measure change of direction ability. Um, We will use the vertical jump, the broad jump and a single leg uh, lateral bound uh, to measure both bilateral and unilateral um, power output um, via jumps. And assuming you collected all that data where you can then probably correlate, you know, where guys need to maybe focus their attention on. Yep. Yeah. And, and the way that we do that is, is two ways. There's a, there's normative uh, data available for NCAA athletes. So I can okay. look up and see, okay, the, the average NCAA baseball player has an eight foot uh, one inch broad jump. So I can compare, you know, Johnny that just signed up with us to say, Hey, like right now you're sitting around, uh, seven and a half inches, and we're trying to work our way towards the, the eight foot one. Um, and that kind of lets him know where he stands in comparison to maybe where he wants to be. Uh, the other thing that we do at ASP is we can we kind of compile all of the data from every athlete that has ever tested here. And we come up with normative data for our facility and our athlete population here. Um, so we can actually compare Johnny, say he comes in with the seven five broad jump and say, hey, like, you're right on the average of what the average athlete that comes in our facility uh, is jumping at and compare him to his, his actual peers. Cause the normative data, number one, sometimes gets outdated. They don't, they don't update this data all the time. Um, and number two, it may not apply. As you mentioned, like if you don't have Alabama's athletes, you probably shouldn't compare your athletes to the Alabama's athletes. Great point. Yeah. Hinge jumps, sprints. So you just focus on the hinge jumps and sprints. That's, that's your, those are the three, Three testings that you do? Uh, no. So the, the movement assessment is 10 different assessments uh, in itself. Oh, those uh, are three things inside of that. Yeah. Well, the movement is, is kind of it, – well, it's, it's 10 things, but it's focused around the five basic uh, movement patterns, the hinge, okay. squat, lunge, push, and pull. Right. That's right. Um, and then our uh, performance testing is focused around uh, broad jump, vertical jump, uh, lateral jump, uh, single leg lateral bound, uh, and then five ten five pro agility shuttle and the ten yard dash. That's that's the majority of our performance assessment. Cool. So when so how do you individualize within that? So now that you have the assessments, 
uh, mm-hmm. what you guys need. So do you build, like, so do you kind of shell out what you want for a team? Like, you know, I know you work for, with Hartford, you work with Loyola. Sure. So do you kind of, you kind of shell out what you want the team to do? And then do you bucket like these hinge guys, these pool guys, like mm-hmm. where, how do you, how do you use the assessments for the individual? Sure. Um, well, or for the individual or for like the team setting? Well, the individual within the team setting. Because right. I think that's where a lot of the guys are really looking to do like, yeah, like this is great, but I, you know, how can I manage that? How, how would I be able to, you know, be able to still get what Travis needs? Mm-hmm. And Trey's totally different. Trey's more, needs more of the, uh, the hinge work when, you know, yep. the, the Travis needs more of the, the, the bilateral work. You know what I mean? What yeah, a- absolutely. So, uh, that is one of the, uh, the the struggles in working with a large team. So I'll, I'll utilize Hartford because uh, they're the largest team that we work with. We have 53 athletes that we're working with uh, with them. Um, so number one, we look at our test data. And with them, we actually incorporate a few other tests. Um, but So we have a little bit, uh, a few more data points on them. But um, we look at the, the, the test data and we say, okay, what is like the average, uh, what does the mean of this team really need? Um, our you know, what, what are the areas that we are mostly lacking on? Uh, and then that kind of gives us like a starting point. Um, and from there, we are going to build our movement foundations uh, block around where that starting point is. So during that first month where we're cleaning up movements, that allows us to individualize and focus a little bit more on each individual athlete, because we can't write 53 individualized programs and have them all run simultaneously. Um, in an ideal world, that's the best way to do it for sure. Uh, but it's just, Rarely, if ever, I mean, I've never been in a setting where that's hundred percent practical, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that you can't have areas of emphasis for each of those guys. So as you mentioned, if, if I'm more of a hinge guy, I'm better at hinging. Well, during that foundations block, but I'm not very good at squatting uh, during that foundations block, I'm going to focus and have a lot more of an emphasis on the squatting with that athlete. I'm going to be on that kid a lot more about his squat and coaching him up and cueing him up a lot more on that given pattern. And when he gets to his hinge pattern, I already know that he's pretty good at that. I'm going to let him be a little bit, and I'm going to f- go focus on on you that isn't as good as the hinge pattern. Um, and that's kind of how we can individualize. So you're coaching, you're on-floor coaching um, and prescribing individualized weights, okay? Not every kid lifting the same weight is going to be the best way that you can individualize training for a large team setting. How you cue each athlete and how you prescribe weights to each athlete is going to be the most individualized uh, form of training that you can get with a large group like that. Okay, so that's the best way to individualize it is to prescribe the weight. When you say cue them, cue them is basically putting them in certain groups, putting them in a certain weaknesses. No, cue it, how you coach them up. So what? Cue what them. Coach, oh, you yeah. mean like an external cue? Okay, sorry. Yes, exactly. What coaching cues you utilize with each athlete? Because uh, they're not going to work all the same. You know, if, if if I've got ten guys in front of me, uh, you know, doing a squat, uh, if I just yell out the same cue, you know, I I might end up with ten different things going on. Um, and, and that's part of coaching is is knowing how to relay your message to the individual athletes. Mm-hmm. The cueing is important, and I think most baseball coaches will definitely agree with you that. I mean, one guy that says you stay stay behind the ball uh, is a lot different than that. That's just a lot means a lot different to other people. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we see it in the weight room all the time. You know, 
if, uh, you know, for example, with a squat, if we have an athlete that, uh, you know, isn't, you know, sitting his hips back far enough in the squat, he's very like a, a big time knee bender, very, very quad dominant squatter. Right. Um, you know, I may call out a cue like, Hey, sit your hips back. Um, and that may, that may not click at all to him. Uh, but if I say to him, Hey, uh, sit down, like you're sitting into a chair, then magically he might be able to sit his hips back and, and he gets into the position that I ultimately want. Uh, so it's a little bit of trial and error. Uh, you'll come up with, you know, a repertoire of cues or an arsenal of cues that have worked historically for you. Um, and you just kind of rotate through those and see which one resonates best with the athlete. Absolutely. I think it's just like a pitching coach would be. Yeah. Pitching coach, exactly. same thing. Yeah. It, it, the worlds are not that different. Mm, awesome, man. What has been, uh, so when you think of development wise, like I'm just thinking about, like, you know, you work with the Hartford has, you know, Tijuco, uh, you mm -hmm. know, very, you know, highly recruited kids, yeah, um, can play at a high level. Then you're going with like freshmen who are just now getting under the bar. Um, is that even another layer of your development, like another layer of the individual attention? Or is that, is that why that phase one is built in there, I guess? That's why that phase one is so important. And I know for, you know, if we have a, an athlete that's a sophomore that trained with us the year before, um, or if an athlete has been training throughout their high school career, sometimes, you know, they could get a little frustrated. Like, yeah, man, why, why am I doing the basic stuff? Like, I know how to do this. Um, but again, it, I, we've had high-level athletes uh, train in the facility that still do not perform all of their movements well all the time. Um, so even, I mean, particularly at a JUCO, but even at a four-year school, uh, it never hurts to reestablish that foundation. Now, depending on your group, and again, this is where your assessment comes into play. If everybody moves really well on their assessment, maybe we only need to touch up on the movement foundations block for a week or two weeks. If everybody moves really bad, maybe we need a whole month uh, of movement foundations focus first. So, um, you know, depending on how well they move, that determines how long we need to emphasize and focus on uh, their basic movement patterns and range of motion through the lifts. Um, but that's where the weight individualization comes in. So say you have an athlete that does move really well, uh, but the rest of the team doesn't. Well, that athlete can utilize heavier weight. Okay, we can adjust his volumes. We can do a lot of things uh, while still doing the same general program that the rest of the team is doing to make it a little bit more suitable for his current level. Um, and then eventually the team is going to catch up to him, right? The team's going to improve their ability to move, and everybody will be back on the same program again. However, the weights and, uh, the weights and intensities are, are still going to be different and individualized for each athlete. Weights and intensity with coming that RP. So some guys, so you're saying some guys could be like maybe on a on a two, and some guys might be on a six. Yeah, well, we probably wouldn't prescribe a two just because that's like a warm up. Uh, okay. That, but uh, it, typically we're prescribing between six and nine RPEs uh, for the most part. Uh, but that's going to be a little. I mean, that's going to mean different. You know, what's what is an eight RPE to me? It's going to be different than an eight RPE to you. Just like that's eighty true. percent would be different between the two of us. So. That's, that's 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 a one level of individualization as well as um, you know I've heard of programs before where hey every athlete's lifting 135 today um, and the next week we're all lifting 145 and, and you know that might work uh, for some guys but there's some dudes that can't handle that weight or maybe that weight is well below their level 
Um, mm-hmm. So individualizing through the amount of weight that the athlete is lifting is super important too. Um, when we get into season, things can be a little bit different for a starting pitcher who's got to pitch the next day. If the rest of the team is scheduled to, uh, you know, lift a, a nine RPE uh, triple, maybe it doesn't make sense for him to do that. Maybe we reduce his RPE a little bit down to a seven and a half or, or something like that. Or uh, maybe we, he likes to lift heavy, so we keep the intensity up. We just drop that volume down a little bit lower. Um, so it's making some of those adjustments on the fly that's important too. So can you get into like how do you determine that? Like so, like because I'm sure that's part of you know people see you. Yeah, you're you're in the weight room with those guys, but that has to be because that's basically like a pitching coach who charts charts the game, mm-hmm. goes home, analyzes the game, and then prescribes maybe a, a bullpen series or prescribes flat ground work or prescribes those kind of things. That's essentially what you're doing. So I guess my question is like thinking it through that is. Okay, we have this data, okay, from the assessment. And as you're going through there, then like what, like you said, the best way for you to individualize your program is through the weights and intensity. Okay. So how do you, like, what would determine who, who's lifting um, which amount of weight and for which intensity? Yeah. And that's, this goes again to why I love RPE because they're able in some ways to kind of determine that themselves. Like they know what an eight RPE feels like better than I'm going to, right? Because it's not going to be the same. So we will prescribe them the intensity that we want them working at. So whether we prescribe a seven or eight RP, whatever whatever we prescribe for the athlete on that given day, uh, they then are doing their warm-up sets and working up until they feel themselves at that prescribed intensity. Um, so that kind of like automates the process a little bit. The athletes are able to make those decisions. Now, as a coach, I can look and say, hey, man, like, that's moving really fast today. That doesn't really seem like it's an eight RPE, you know, or a nine RPE. How many more reps do you think you could have gotten? And they'll be like, yeah, well, I think I could have gotten three or four more. Okay. Well then we need to increase the weight today. We're looking pretty good. Like our readiness is pretty high right now. Let's, let's get after it a little bit. Or it could be the other way, you know, and I say eight RPE and the athlete is grinding out that last rep and I'm looking at him like, there's no way he can do one more rep. Um, I'll go up to him and ask like, Hey man, are you sure you could do two more reps of that? And most times they're going to be pretty honest if you if you check in with them. Like, ah, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go down today. Like, we, we can't expect ourselves to be at our best every day. Um, so that's 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 a pretty important uh, note to see is is making sure that you're watching the athletes and, and seeing how that they're moving and how the weight is moving. Um, there are some other tools that you can utilize. Um, in our setting, I, we don't have access to them all the time, uh, which would be like a bar speed. Uh, you know, velocity-based training. Um, you know, there's there's some uh, evidence out there, some numbers out there that uh, correlate different bar speeds with different RPEs or percentages. Um, so if I'm working at a eight RPE, I should be moving the bar X mile or meters per second. And if I'm not moving it in that range, then it's really not the right weight for the given day. Um, that's something we do at bar speed sensors, but we don't have them for every barbell when we're working with a large team. Uh, so it's just not something that's practical. So right now. Um, in our current situation, we're relying a lot on our coaches um, observing the room and watching the reps. Yeah, but I think, and I think that's more uh, with the majority of people. That's what you need to know. We need to know what we need to look right. at. What do we need to coach up? And like I yeah. said, I think there's. It, it's very easy for a person to we can relate to. All right, we saw this bullpen series, or we saw this. Here's your data from the game, yeah. and we're going to program X, Y, and Z drill, X, yeah. Y, and Z flat. Uh, you know. 
flat ground bullpen. So I think there's a correlation there. So it's a matter of, okay, well, what do I do in terms of the, so do you look at the hills and valleys? Like I think yep. we're building up to the, the first day of our game, our first competition, our mm-hmm. first game, right? That's basically sure. what you're putting up to. So is it just a seriously natural progression of like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? Uh, like, so like, or like, what, how are you, how are you, what is the, the peaks and valleys that look like? Yeah. And, and one thing that kind of goes in with this too, is like, we have our initial assessment, um, yeah. but that just tells us our starting point. Really, like we should be assessing our athletes every single day. Every day that they're in the weight room, we're assessing the way that they move, how much weight that they are moving, how well they're moving it, what they're reporting their RPEs at. So like every day you should be paying attention to your athletes. And that's the only way that you can really stay in touch with them. Because uh, sometimes like if you're not paying attention, like you, you may run the athletes so much into the ground that they're, they're getting overtrained or they're super fatigued and they're uh, performing worse than they were before. But if you're paying attention and you're, you're monitoring how much weight they're lifting, what they're reporting uh, certain weights at different RPEs at. Like, oh, wow, like we're looking kind of fatigued. Like we might need to take a deload week a little bit here, uh, which kind of leads into what you're saying. It's no, it is not a straight linear progression. Um, you know, it, I, I don't think any level of progress forever is just going to be straight up without any any valleys in there. Um, you know, you'll have your peaks and valleys. Ideally, you want that trend averaging upwards, uh, but things come up and down. Um, and, and that's definitely something that, that we are dealing with 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 all of our athletes um but our more advanced ones we're programming in set uh weeks where we're going to deload so uh within a given training cycle uh, a very basic uh style of of deloading is to build them up for three weeks so for example we're going to go seven rpe week one eight rpe week two maybe nine rpe week three and then we're going to drop them back down to six rpe and then we pick back up at seven eight and nine and hopefully those next three Weeks weights are higher than the previous month's um, RPEs were for that given weight uh, exercise. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely monitoring that workload. If all we do is climb um, and we don't allow them to have a little bit of a break or a little bit of a, a deload period, uh, you're going to end up with a lot of kind of burnt out and fatigued athletes. They, 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 we can't expect them just to continuously climb once they've reached a, a, a minimal training age. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Um and then within that, so like you said, like, so basically there's your shell. Your shell is three weeks strong, you know, one week deload. If I see that Trey is not able to handle this, go to the third week, are you going to keep him at second week? Like, is that depending? Is that the, like you said, the, the, the weights and the intensity, that's all part of that conversation there, right? Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't always work out that way. And I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. And it's not the way that we necessarily do it all the time. Like you don't have to go three weeks on then one week down. That's just yeah, kind of yeah. like your, your classical uh, deload. Um, you know, if you look up deloading online, that's probably the first thing that'll pop up. Um, but that's where like checking with your athletes each day. And, you know, we had a, actually had a situation, um, you know, somewhat recently happened with one of our athletes is, uh, we had been building up for a few weeks and, and, you know, this was supposed to be a big week. Like we were going to go, uh, triples, uh, three reps at a nine RPE, one rep or nine, nine and a half RP, maybe one rep left in the tank. So really heavy weight. Um, and he was amped up for it. We were amped up for it. We wanted to do it. And then we get to the week and like his numbers just aren't coming in the way that we want him to. Like it, he's, he's obviously a little bit more fatigued. He's feeling a little bit more sore. His readiness is not at the level that we wanted to. So we had to make an adjustment like, okay, like, you know what, we're going to take our deload week here. 
we're going to start back up the following week instead of taking our deload next week. So um, it, it's about managing that program. You can write it all down on paper and have an idea of the way that it's going to go. Um, but I think anybody that's been a coach uh, at really at anything uh, that's written any type of practice plan or workout program uh, knows that it very rarely ends up playing out the exact way you thought it would. Uh, and you just have to know you've got to be kind of, you know, expect the unexpected sometimes with that and, and be cool with, with adjusting. Uh, because at the end of the day, did I want that athlete? Do I want him like the meathead in me? Do I want him to lift that heavy weight on that day? Yeah. And he probably does, too, because he's a little bit of a meathead, too. Uh, but we're not powerlifters, right? He's training to get better at baseball. Uh, he's not training just to get better at training. So we've got to be smart with that, and we can't do anything that's going to jeopardize his performance on the field for a little bit of a, you know, ego bump and a little bit of a, you know, meathead weight room lifting, you know. Mm-hmm. Amen. Man, that's just great. This is great stuff, Trev. Um, I, I guess I guess another thing I'm just going to – getting out, um, getting into something that was, that was super valuable. Again, I think you're just basically helping guys clear a plan of like what they need to do and what it looks mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, uh, the adaptability is absolute. I think, you know, like you said, anybody, and you get it cause you play, you've been around the, you know, and so, you know, that the, the adaptability within the plan is very important. Yeah. Um, and so I'm glad that, you know, glad, great to hear that. Um, so I guess the thing is, the question is, you know, looking at, you know, what kind of advice, you know, would you give the guy, the coach who's by himself, he is the strength coach for the baseball mm-hmm. program. They don't have a Travis hash, you know, they can just come in and be the strength coach for the program. You know, what would you, what would your advice be for that guy running, running his show? You know, he's trying to do it for his athletes. Yeah. My, my biggest advice would be uh, to, to track as much as you can. Um, and, you know, start with an assessment, start with one that you can handle. I mean, because if you're, if you're one, like I don't do the same assessment at Loyola that we do at ASP. At ASP, we've got a staff, we have interns, uh, we have more technology here, we have a lot more toys uh, to play with. When I go offsite, if I'm at a, at a different school, um, it might be me and a stopwatch. So pick a few things that you think are important, okay? You know, whether it's uh, a couple sprint tests or a couple jumping tests and assess those and do it from the beginning, get your baseline assessment. And then assess those again periodically throughout the course of your training. Because um, if you believe that those things translate to the athletes getting better, we should see those numbers get better over time. Um, and if they're not, then you that's a pretty good indication that, you know, we need to make an adjustment to our program. So number one, identify, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators um, that work for you and that are practical and you can track easily and quickly with your athletes. That would be the, the first thing I would recommend. The second thing, and, and I think a lot of high school weight rooms miss out on this, is, is they write a, a, a workout program on the whiteboard. And they just write it on the board, and every kid comes in and just does the program on the board. Um, high school kids, uh, they are not always the best at uh, remembering what they did even yesterday, certainly not the week before or three weeks ago. Um, so how do we know our athletes are getting stronger if we haven't recorded any of their weights that they've done? Um, so I, I think I'm a big proponent of having the athletes have their own training cards. We print out a training card for every athlete that they work with and they are to be writing their reps or their, their, uh, weights in for each set that they are doing. Uh, and this allows us to track. If I tell Johnny, Hey Johnny, like what, what weight were you lifting three weeks ago or four weeks ago? He's probably not going to know if he doesn't have it written down, but if he has it on his paper, like, Oh wow. Like I was only lifting 135 
four weeks ago. And now I'm doing the same amount of reps, but I'm doing 170, right? So like it's naturally shown progression there. Um, and we can also monitor it. Like if I look at an athlete's card and they've lifted the same weight for the last four weeks, um, I, I need to go up to that kid and ask him what's going on. You know, maybe mm-hmm. he's feeling run down. Maybe he's feeling tired and fatigued and needs a little bit of a reset. Um, you know, it, it probably shouldn't get to four weeks, by the way. I should be checking in a lot more frequently than that. Um, <laughs> or he just doesn't understand RPE. Like maybe he thinks because you know, he doesn't understand that he's supposed to be increasing the weight each week or, or when he's supposed to be increasing it. Um, so have a plan written out uh, that the athletes can record their own weights in. Because, again, your, your initial key performance indicator tracking is important, but the best assessment you do is every day that they come into the weight room. You're assessing how much weight they lift and how well they move. And if they have it down on the training card, it's a lot easier to track these things. Mm-hmm. So those two, so having assessments and making sure that it's written down where people can actually write uh, a written yeah. out plan where they can track their weights. Yeah, because I think it, I think uh, you know you can write a really great program on a whiteboard. There's nothing against writing the pro, and you can still write it on there if you yeah, want. Right, to right, yeah. Have you, them you're saying you can still have them on the board so they can see it. And they come in there with the door, but like, all right, take your card, make, make sure you write your stuff down. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's the best way to make adjustments and track. It, it's hard to it's hard to adjust numbers that you don't know. That's right. That's great. That's big time stuff. Um, I get lastly because here we are. Here we are about an hour in. Um, okay. which is awesome. Uh, I was thinking like the last thing is like, um, cause you're, you're, you're involved with baseball. You, you know, the baseball side of things, um, you know, guys right now are, you know, keeping arm care and arm strength, you know, those kind of things. Um, I'm looking at, you know, how do you incorporate maybe some baseball specific movements? You know, like you said, the hinge pattern, um, but I'm even talking as much as like arm care and stuff like that. Sure. How you incorporate, how the kids incorporate that, those kind of things, because, you know, their 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 strength coach at the high school might not be about like, but what could he maybe bring to say, hey, here's what I could, here's what I could do that maybe help with my arm. Yeah, and and well, number one, when it comes to arm care, I always like to to say like those foundational movements, you know, whether it's a squat or the hinge, you know, deadlifts and and single leg movements, that still has to be your foundation. Um, you can do all the arm care in the world that you want to. Uh, but if you don't have a good foundation, uh, you're going to be trying to fire a cannon, a cannon out of a canoe. Um, and, you know, it's just not going to go very well. Uh, so you have to have that foundation first. And that should be the priority, in my opinion, still. Um, so you should start your workout out with the, the big bang items. So like your big movement patterns. Then when you get into your accessory work, so more towards the end of your workout programming, that's where I typically are. I'm programming our arm care stuff. And uh, for me, arm care kind of breaks down into a few different categories. Um, the first one is going to be uh, rotator cuff strengthening, so strengthening exercises. Whether and the, these ones most kids know and are doing already, whether it's the J band, internal and external rotations, either low or up at the ninety degree angle. Um, but going through range of motion with the shoulder joint specifically, um, lighter weights, trying to adapt the body to volume there, and strengthening the rotator cuff. Um, that's that's usually like the first uh, level of arm care that I that I like to think of. The second one is our scaps, right? So you hear a lot about like scaps, whether it be uh, uh, pitching or hitting. Uh, and we just want to make sure that we have, number one, we have a good range of motion with our scaps. Our scaps are moving the way that they're supposed to be uh, through a full range of motion. And that we can control them, that we're actually in control of where our scaps are moving. 
the shoulder is the most freely movable joint in the body. So most people have full range of motion at the shoulder, particularly young athletes. Uh, but having stability uh, in those different positions is super important. Um, so some of the things that we'll do for uh, scap work is like landmine presses where we're really focused on reaching all the way up, feeling that shoulder blade um, upwardly rotate and elevate towards the armpit. And then on rows, making sure that we're getting full range of motion into retraction and protraction going both ways um, through our row work. Um, and then lastly is timing. Um, and a lot of our, some, most of the time I'll leave this uh, more so on the skill side because they tend to do a lot more of this stuff over there. Um, but making sure that our rotator cuff is able to, to fire on time and when it's supposed to. Um, so this is where like a, like a body blade or doing med ball drops and, and different things where our uh, body is okay. contracting and relaxing rapidly uh, comes into place. That's how I break down the three stages of arm care. Typically in the weight room, we'll focus mostly on the rotator cuff strengthening uh, in the movement uh, and control of the scapula. Cool. Yeah, the timing would be like your up tosses and stuff like that, your shoulder too. Yep, up tosses and, and different like reverse catches and throws and, and things mm -hmm. like that. That's, that's rotator cuff timing. Like even trampoline work. Trampoline works another one. Yep. hundred percent. And, and the kids typically, uh, that we're working with are, are getting a lot of that on the skill side. Um, if they weren't and they came to us and like, Hey man, I'm not doing it. Then, you know, we can program that in a little bit too. Um, yeah, for sure. but I do want to make sure like uh, that the kids know, like that, that is accessory work. Uh, it, you know, like all that stuff is important and it matters, but it won't matter if you're weak everywhere else. Uh, you, you have to be able to support your body and support the stressors that the sport uh, puts on your body everywhere else, right? So proximal stability allows for distal mobility. Uh, it's an old saying, but it, but it's very true. Mm. Love that. Accessory work. You have to be strong mm, in the fundamentals, the foundation, I'd say. Yep. In the foundational movements. Or you're going to get hurt. Mm. Absolutely. It's such a, it's such a valuable thing. And I think everybody now, okay, now everybody like, okay, I know when you get in the weight room, now we got how we got to make it better. You know, now like, all right, it's, is it now, is it everybody just doing these sets, these exercises on the whiteboard and go now, like now we got it. Let's, we got a little bit better. He said, try to assess you know, uh, assess what you, what you really want. Um, and I guess what you kind of hit on this, like, okay, if I want to test and I'm going to retest these things, mm -hmm. like then, then you have to practice them. Like you have to, like, these would be also be movements that you would probably be practicing. That would, what you're saying is going to make them better when you retest them. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, ideally you're selecting things and like, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot more than just like the basic sprints and jumps that you can assess. Like we, we assess with our, with our college guys, we assess medicine ball throws and bar speed velocity and, and some of the things uh, that we can do on the smaller scale at ASP. Um, but whatever you're assessing, it, it should matter for the sport. Like it should be assessing a skill or a trait or a characteristic that you deem as valuable for the given sport. Um, you know, so for example, like our lateral jump, um, our lateral bound, like single leg force production, uh, is very important for the sport, really all sports, but for the sport of baseball, um, because everything is starting off with that, you know, whether it's a throw or we're swinging, uh, we're driving off of a single leg and then absorbing force onto the other single leg. Uh, so we need to be able to produce and absorb force on a single leg. And for us, uh, the lateral bound has been a, a good assessment, uh, to track that. 
with our athletes. So making sure that you're tracking those things and making sure that the athletes are getting better at them. Because if they're not getting better and you think that getting better will help them at their sport, well, then something's off with the program. Yeah, the program is coming out. Yeah, that's why I was thinking, like, okay, so let's say lateral jumps. Like, I know it's very specific, but, like, you know, so if you don't just do lateral jumps to continue to get better at lateral jumps, like, so right. what are other things? So, like, all-encompassing of the lateral jumps. So I think that would even be the expert of, like, you, me having to reach out to you and say, hey, man, I would love to do lateral, lateral jumps. Like, what other things would help yeah. me become better at lateral jumps? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's where the program – kind of comes into play is right like so what do we have to have in order to do any type of jump well number one uh we have to have a a baseline level of of force production right we strength right like if if you are not strong enough to get your body off of the ground uh you are not going to be jumping very high or very far or getting much of anywhere um so what is one thing that can help us with a lateral jump well how about a, a split squat or a single leg lunge or a lateral lunge to even get more specific uh to stay in the same plane um, that's developing force in the specific plane that that jump takes place in. Um, what's the next thing that is important with lateral jump is, or any jump, is rate of force production. So how quickly can we produce that force, right? That's the, that's the whole argument is, oh, power lifters, you know, they lift a lot of weight, but, you know, you never see them run a 40-yard dash. They're not very quick. Um, and, you know, that's true, right? Like we have to have force production, and then we also have to produce that force quickly. Um, so there's other jump variations that we can move in, or we can just lift at a lower percentage weight or a lower RPE and try to move quickly through these range of motion to make sure that we're training both strength and speed kind of in conjunction with one another. Um, so for example, we could do a, a variation of the jump, whether it's a, a speed skater or a hide and some people will call it, that's going to help us improve our rate of force production for the lateral jump. And if we put those two things together, we have greater force and we're able to produce that force quicker, our jump should get better. Mm-hmm. And if our jump gets better because we're able to produce more force uh, and produce it faster, then also when we step in the batter's box or we step on the mound, we should also then have more force and be able to produce that force quicker. Mm-hmm. We would oh, expect those skills to get better too. No, I think that's it. I think that's that's it, man. That's a, it's a great, it's a great spot, man. I think that's all at the essentially of it, that's the core of it, you know? And like, and then, and then my mind even went to like, it, it, it might not even be a problem with the exercise. It could be a problem with, like you said, how we're prescribing the intensity and the weights. If maybe go there and then, yeah, like you said, it's yeah. all about the adapt- adaptation, you know, how are you adapting to it and how are you looking at the kid? Maybe the kid's not doing as much as he should. Uh, you know, is he giving his effort? Uh, do you do anything like speaking of that, like, will you assess their effort? Like, will you, will they come in and will you like, you say, Hey, like, how'd you sleep last night? You know, what's your soreness? Like, you know, what, what's your, what, how are you feeling right now? You know, cause like you said, your RPA at eight could be different today than it is tomorrow. Or it also could be different what it is after school than it is on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, that's a really important point is, is overall readiness. Um, with our high school athletes, it's not something that we're assessing all the time. Um, it's just some, it's one of those things where it's not always practical to it. Um, however, we have a, a collegiate development program that we run in the summer, uh, where we're working with college athletes and we're seeing them six days a week. Uh, they're in the facility for about three or four hours, six days a week. They're not lifting weights the whole time. Certainly not. Uh, they're doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, but with them every day that they're coming in, they have a pre-lift or a, a pre-activity and a post-activity questionnaire. And we are asking them that things. We're asking them 
Um, how much sleep did you get? Are you feeling unusually uh, sore, tired, or unmotivated, you know, more than normal? Um, how much stress are you experiencing right now? Uh, and that's a big one because stress is stress. Your body does not differentiate from physical and mental, mental stress. Um, so if you're stressed out uh, at home or like you've got it's exam week or something like that, like that stress is all cumulative. And if we add on top of that in the weight room, you know, we're, we're adding additional stress, even though it, it may be different types of stress. Um, but yeah, so and then after the lift, we're asking like, how, how hard did you perceive that lift to be? Um, because if we're, we're prescribing intensities and I'm, it's a six RPE day, right. Which is low. It's not, not very hard. And the athlete comes back and says, coach, that was a five out of five with five being the hardest lift hard. Like Mm. something's up with that. Like that should, that's not matching up to the, the way the lift was prescribed. So, um, and that could be a number of different things. Maybe their recovery is not good. Maybe they're stressed. Maybe they were, they didn't sleep very well, or, Maybe they just ignored the six RPE part and worked at a 10 RPE all day long. And that's why they felt like it was harder. Um, So these are all like warning signs and indicators that we got to check in with the athlete. Um, So it's something I wish that we had the the capability to do on a larger scale. We've got 70 high school athletes that we're working with almost daily. Uh, So that's that's kind of a challenge. Uh, But with our smaller, uh, higher level group, our college development program, which is only 10 athletes, that's definitely something we're tracking every day with them. Oh, cool. And then the reason why you do that is to go back and look. And again, it's just more of the, more of the conversation of then your programming, certain Mm -hmm. weight, certain intensity, and just having communication with them. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to drive adaptation and drive the optimum and achieve the optimal level of performance. Uh, You will not be performing optimally if you're fatigued and under recovered. Beautiful. Great, great way to put it. Um, Travis has been great. Um, if someone wants to talk more, more with you, man, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, probably through social media would be, would be the best way. Uh, hash sports performance on, uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Hash sports performance. Yep. Hash sports performance. My last name. Yep. Um, yeah. And they can, they can hit me up on there, reach out. Um, if they, they had to absolute sports performance, md.com, my email is listed on there as well. So they can shoot me an email. Coach Travis Hash, just giving us some great information about how to help our guys navigate the ever so more important strength program coming from arm care to have an assessment that works for you. Don't copy and paste. Find something because, like he said, I'm guilty of it. So many coaches guilty of it. Just really, really gets down to it. It's okay. Talk to somebody, find what is important for you. I love how he mentioned, like, what I do at ASP and, like, the facility and where I own. We have the technology, different resources. And then an assessment is different when I go off campus, when I go to the OLA, when I go to the high school. They don't have those things. So even a guy that knows, yes, you just can't. What is the best thing that you have at your facility? What is the best thing that you have at your school for your team that you can assess, that you can manage, that you can say, hey, I can go off this and we can say, hey, why aren't we getting better at this? And then we can really say is, are the exercises that I'm programming and the things that I'm helping, or is it helping my guys? Uh, loved it. Uh, stuff with RPE and uh, rate performance exertion, that's something that people could probably think take away because I know some people are percentage people. Um, another form of way people can do that. Uh, I love that because uh, one of the main things that there has been a correlation between all great coaches that I've heard here 
have had a chance to talk to is that everyone tries to help them become the player, become the best coach. And he kind of hinted to that with RP. That's what it kind of does. It kind of allows them to say, here's where I'm going to be. Here's what I need to be. So which is really essentially how, helping them become their best coach. They need to be in charge of their career. And when they take ownership, things can, things can roll. And that's what we're all trying to do. So I, I like that from that point. I thought that was a pretty nice correlation from that. I uh, loved his phases and how he clarified that. He has a, basically trying to get up to a power and speed block. Before that, he's getting a strength block. Before that, he's doing accumulation block. And before that, the foundation of movements. That has to be number one. And everybody goes through it from freshmen to seniors. From first year, first year, first getting under the bar to years under the bar. Everybody needs to do it. It just depends on the person, the frequency, and the amount that needs to be done. But everybody needs to do that. The fundamentals there. It's just like everybody needs to know how to play catch. Same kind of thing. There's a there's a there's definitely a correlation there. So loved how he defined that and put that out. His tier system. I think that's something that people can definitely take into. I think people can see that. I uh, just loved his clarity. Loved his detail. Loved him being able to help us kind of work through this. And. Um, you know, even off air, we talked about, you know, what people don't realize as like in season, typically people in season say it's all, it's all low weight, high volume when, you know, all of these guys that I'm talking to. And the reason I'm talking to them is when you're in season, it needs to be low weight. You know, it needs to, I mean, sorry, it needs to be high. It can be high weight with less reps. You know, it's more like three by threes or four by fours, not three by tens, three by fifteens. That is not in the end season. That's the accumulation block. That's the buildup. That's higher reps. That is where you're going to feel the soreness. So we want to stick within the high weight, low reps during the season. Um, and what we're talking a lot about, and even he said talks about like where we can kind of microdose, and that kind of came up through that through that area and uh, through that time off air, and that might be the best way for kids. Did they get the 20, 30 minute thing in season? Did you get? Can you get in right after practice? Um, you know, I know like my buddy Matt Itner, you know, uh, is has a weightlifting, you know, he's got a little area where they can do a little bit of lifting right outside the field. So when you get done, get a little microdose in, get home. Uh, it's a it's a really important thing to do. So, um, you know, really appreciate Coach Hash. And again, reach out to him on on, uh, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Hash Sports Performance. Check out the website, www.absolutesportsperformancemd.com. Check the website out, as well as uh, you can send. I'm sure you can find his email, and reach out to him that way. So, uh, Coach Ash can't thank you enough. Well, minor those guys at Inning Pros, thanks again, and most importantly, thank you all for keeping up, sticking with us. Hope this is becoming valuable. Like I said, this is where just a lot of people are. They're kind of in this space right now and helping their guys get better, get stronger. How do we do those kind of things? What's the best way to do it? So, hopefully, the resources are helping, uh, continue to help grow the game. And until next week. Keep getting better.